Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series through the Gospel of Matthew entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom, we're exploring the ways that we, as disciples of Jesus, partner with God for the real, everyday advancing of His kingdom. Father, thank you just for the amazing privilege of, of unpacking your word and, and coming into your presence and, and um, just being able to hear from you, Father. And, and we have prayed this already, Lord God, for this morning, but, but Lord, I, I do pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that you, would, you, you already have, Father. Thank you that you've reminded us through worship that, that, that fear has no part in our future. Fear has no part in our present, Lord God. We've been wonderfully set free and delivered from fear because of your unconditional, endless, amazing love. And I pray, Father, as we, as we go through the, t- the, the word of God this morning, your word, that you would just reinforce that truth again and again and again. Lord, I pray we would hear a thousand times this morning how much you love us. We would hear a thousand times, and then you would say it even more, and again, and again, and again. Lord, we are, we are hungry for you. We are hungry for, for, for your voice, for the washing of your word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are present would you minister and release the Father's life in each of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite things to do on a, on a Sunday night, especially at the end of, a, end of a busy week, is to watch documentaries. I'm a massive documentary fan. And I, and I try to watch varied documentaries. I'm, I, try, I think it's a, maybe I'm being a bit, too, bit honest, but it's, the, it's a great way to fill yourself with information without slogging through a long book. You know, an hour and a half documentary, kind of fill yourself with some great information. The documentaries that I really, really love are documentaries about people who, who push themselves beyond their limits, people who encounter incredible obstacles and, uh, in order to achieve a dream or a goal that they have. And when they achieve that goal or dream, they, they look back on their lives and they, and they realize that they were able to do something that they never thought was, was possible. Uh, a few of my favorite documentaries, um, For Grace, I don't know if you've, if you've seen that, For Grace, it is the, it's the documentary about the, the chef Curtis Duffy here in Chicago who overcame incredibly difficult childhood and upbringing and started in the West Loop, um, one of Chicago's few three-star Michelin restaurants. Great, great documentary. Uh, another one is Desert Runners, Desert Runners, highly recommend that. It's this crazy documentary about this group of non-professional athletes who attempt to run four ultramarathons, over 100 miles, across four deserts in one year. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous the, 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 the strain that these guys put on their bodies and are able to achieve. And then my personal favorite, one I highly recommend, is the movie Touching the Void. You've got to see that. It's on Netflix, Touching the Void. I think some of you probably have seen it, but it tells the story of two mountaineers, two British mountaineers, I think in the, in the early 90s, who attempted one of the most difficult technical climbs in the Andes. And they have this tragic accident where, where, where one of them falls, uh, I think it's about 10 stories, shatters his legs. The other guy leaves him on the mountain, 
And the story is told of this guy who literally crawls off the mountain with two shattered legs over a period of four or five days to reach his goal, and that was survival. It's an amazing, amazing story. The reason why I love documentaries is not because I'm trying to live vicariously through these people and uh, don't psychoanalyze me. Don't say I've got missing, missing parts in my, in my person. None, none of that is true. I just love a good story. But I do think it speaks, to me certainly, it speaks of something of my journey in God. Something of, of, of the fact that in God, I have, uh, in, in God, I have dreams and hopes and aspirations and desires that God has, has, has placed within me. And when I look at my own limitations, I realize how incapable I am of achieving those things. It, it, it speaks to me of the, of the wrestle between the, the here and now and the there which is still to come. This, this, this reality of, of the limitations of the here and now, but the, but the promise and the desire to, to achieve the things that God has called me to. It, it speaks to me of the, of the ups and downs of the journey. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12, most of you have heard me speak about this. It's my absolute favorite verse in all of scripture. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. And how many of you know when we journey in God, it's not just a case of faith, but it's a case of, of understanding and wrestling through the idea of patience. Being patient to hold on, being patient to stay firm, being patient to stand in the promises of, promises of God as we, as we reach his goal. When the season is over, I, I love the, the joy and the elation of looking back and, and seeing the fruit and seeing how much I've learned about myself. But more importantly, how much I've learned about God. I'm pretty sure every person in this room can relate to something of what I've just shared. Something of that sense of dreams and aspirations and, and goals and desires, but realizing the limitations and the struggles and the realities of the here and now. The Bible tells us in, in, Ecclesi in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And that's the reason why I think whether you're here today as a believer in Jesus or not a follower of Jesus Christ, every one of us know that there is a sense of more. Every one of us knows that it, whatever it is, it could be better. It could be more. There's a, there's a yearning and a desire to experience more. And left unchecked, I think that's what fuels this culture, this materialistic self-improvement culture in which we live, the, the pursuit of the fountain of youth that advertisers tell us we are, we are deserving of. You know, that's the, that's the slogan of 95% of all advertisements in our culture. You know, the current you can deserve, is, you know, deserves so much better. The current you can be so much better. And it's because God has placed eternity in our hearts. This, 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 this tension between the now and the not yet, the, 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 the difference, the, the gap between the here and the there, I think is most heightened in those who are followers of Jesus, because, simply because we've, we've encountered him. We've encountered heaven. We've encountered something of the eternal. We've encountered Jesus, the, the, the son of the one who has formed us and fashioned us. We've, we've, we've experienced his presence. This, this morning, we've, we've worshipped him, and, and, and his word has washed us at times and, 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 and sensed his, his, his healing upon us and, and his word being spoken into our hearts. And, and it stirs something in our hearts for more, doesn't it? A, a desire to, to, to grow personally. 
a desire to, to see this, this kind of unrealized kingdom potential that, res, that resides in each of us, to see that potential to flourish and to, and to become fruitful. It, it stirs a desire in us as a church, I hope, that, that while we are planting churches and we are releasing people to plant and releasing people to, 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 to other cities as Jesus uh, prophesied over this church that we would, he said that we would be a church without borders, which means that we need to be open-handed with those who are going. But I, I trust that as we encounter Jesus, there is a stirring for more, that we would never say, this is it, we've arrived. And even as the collective people of God, across nations, I, I, I trust there is, a, there is a stirring in our hearts for, for the kingdom of God, not just to be that mustard seed that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 13, but that that mustard seed would, would grow and become the, the tree that, that he promises that it, that it would be. So there is this there. There is, a, there is a not yet. There is a still to come. But how many of you know that there is a here? There is a reality of the here and now. And if you don't know that today, let me tell you, tomorrow morning when you wake up, and as Matt said, you look at yourself in the mirror and you perhaps get a bit of a fright, you realize there is a here. You realize there is a limitation. Now, there are so many ways that I could go with this sermon today, so many ways to, to apply this journey, because that's what I'm speaking about today, the journey from here to there. How do we journey from the realization of the here and now to the, to the promise of the future? There's so many different ways that we can go with this, and, but, but I really want to bring it into the context of our current preaching series, which is going through the book of Matthew and, and asking the question, uh, 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 how, does, how does Matthew's gospel reveal the good news of the kingdom? That's what the series is called. It's the, gospel, the, uh, uh, it's the good news of God's kingdom. And so mo- even more specifically, what I felt to do today is to, is to bring it into the context of trusting for healing f- uh, 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 f- from sickness and disease the here and now, the promise of healing, the reality of sickness, and also salvation for those who don't know Jesus. The promise of sonship, but the reality of hardened hearts. How do we go through that journey? So I'm gonna ask you to do, I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. If you feel comfortable, I wanna invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Because I really wanna make this sermon I want to trust that the Lord, should I say, I want to trust that the Lord would make the sermon personal. I don't want today to be a bunch of theory or, 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 or kind of uh, biblical truth without any personal application. The kingdom of God has a context, and the context is always human relationships. So if you feel comfortable, close your eyes for a moment. Perhaps you're here today, and you're trusting for healing in your own body. Perhaps you're here today and you know a friend or a family member that you are personally praying for, engaging God, contending with the Lord to want to see that person healed. I want you to bring, allow the Spirit of God to bring that person or that group of people to the forefront of your mind. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. Maybe you've seen a measure of breakthrough. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're still trusting for that person to walk into the fullness of what you know God's word promises, the fullness of healing and the fullness of, of, of deliverance. And the question I want to try and answer today, keep your eyes closed. The question I want to try and answer today is how do we, 
How do we overcome the disappointment of faith not being realized when we're praying for the sick? What I'm going to teach on today is not theory pulled from the page of a book or whatever, but this is a personal wrestle that our family has been through for a number of years, trusting for healing, but not seeing fullness in that yet. As you keep your eyes closed, I want you now to think about a friend or a neighbor or a work colleague who you are longing to see come to faith in Jesus. Someone who lives underneath you, someone you you know at work, a family member. And you've maybe shared your faith with them. You've maybe told them about the gospel of Jesus. And yet their heart remains hardened to the gospel. You still have a burden for them. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring those people, those names and those faces to the forefront of your mind. And what I'm gonna ask you to do as we go through the sermon is to ask the Holy Spirit to continually remind you of those people that you are trusting to see healed, even if it's yourself. Because I want today to be practical in whatever way we can. So how do we navigate the journey from here today? You can open your eyes. How do we navigate the journey from here today? How do we, how do we trust that the Holy Spirit would, would lead us from this place, the reality, the limitations of, of facing sickness or facing hardness, um, uh, opposition or apathy or indifference to the gospel? How do we journey from that place to get to the place where we see breakthrough, to get to the place where we see healing? And I'd like us to look, if we can, to Matthew, at Matthew 12. The, the passage will be behind you. Matthew 12. We're going to read quite a chunky passage of Scripture, uh, verse, uh, starting at verse 9. Now, this text is, is broken up into, into three sections, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna, I'm not going to teach verse by verse through this. So I'm going to read a lengthy passage, and I want you to catch the heart. I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of an indication as to what each section is that, that, that we are going to be looking at. But, but catch the big picture of what, of, of what God is saying through his word. So let's start in verse 9. And verse 9 through 14 is the first section that we're going to be looking at. And that deals with Jesus miraculously healing someone by faith. Jesus miraculously healing someone by faith. Let's read from verse nine together. Going on from that place, he went out, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Just to pause there and just to say, we could very easily use this passage to teach on Jesus' uh, 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 um, indifference or, or anger against religion. But that's not what I feel the Lord wants us to focus on. Let's look at verse 13. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. What was the one thing the man could not do? Stretch out his hand. And yet Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out. And it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Verse 15 is the second section that we're going to be looking at. And, and in this section, I want you to, I want you to notice Jesus' incredible heart of love and compassion. I'll sh- again, lots of other things we could, we could focus on. 
but I want, I want you to hone in or zone in on Jesus' heart and love and compassion. Aware of this, verse 15, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. There's those absolute statements in Scripture again when it comes to healing. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Look at verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know, it's fascinating that Matthew is the only gospel writer to reference Isaiah, this, this passage in Isaiah. And the reason was, is because Matthew was that smoldering wick, wick and bruised reed. Matthew was that one who had abandoned all thoughts of following the Messiah. Because he was hurt by religion and he had walked away from God. And yet God, uh, Jesus chased off, Jesus went after him and called him back into his presence and, and, and healed that bruised reed and brought life back into that smoldering wick because of his love and his compassion. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And then the last section we're going to look at is verse 22 through verse, uh, verse 29. And this deals with the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness as Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, comes. Verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that, they, so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Now look at verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions until he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. So as I mentioned, we, we're, we're, we're tracking our way through the book of Matthew, the first 13 chapters in the book of Matthew. We've got three weeks to go. And, and the way we are approaching the series is, is, is looking at it as if the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, was a foundations manual for, for kingdom living. In fact, many commentators agree that that's how the early church used to read the book of Matthew. Instead of, instead of uh, including all of the events in a linear fashion, Matthew seems to group certain themes and teaches kingdom principles around those themes. Matthew 1 through 4 deals with Jesus' early life, and in there, Matthew is laying the foundation for kingdom living, grace and hearing God's voice and the reality of warfare. Matthew 5 through 7 deals with the Sermon on the Mount, this, this kingdom manifesto, what it looks like, the beliefs or the ethics of the kingdom. Matthew 8 through 10 is Jesus 
showing what it looks like when the kingdom of God is in action. It's the purpose or the mission of the kingdom. Signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, as far as I understand, is the pivotal verse in the book of Matthew. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And then the section that we're looking at now and will, will be over the next two weeks, Matthew 11 through Matthew 13, what, what Matthew does here is he's trying to help us understand this, this tension between the kingdom that is at hand but the kingdom that is still yet to fully come. And how do we live in that tension, this, this now but not yet reality of the kingdom? And so what I want to do for, for most of the rest of the sermon is, is take some time to, to develop a theology, an understanding of how we live in the now, but the not yet. Now this is going to be, and I have to admit this, this is going to be a massive sweeping overview. And I'm going to leave you, don't get frustrated with me, I'm going to leave you, intentionally leave you, hopefully, with more questions than answers. Because sometimes I think we so demand answers that we come up with solutions or come up with, with convictions that aren't necessarily true. We need to be comfortable with un, not fully understanding everything. And I feel what the Lord, I felt, say to me today was I needed to plant some seeds, which, I want, which we need to give time to germinate. And I'm pointing us all to a series we're going to be doing in the, at the end of this month and through July on signs, wonders, and miracles. So this is not only part of our Matthew series, but it's actually part one of the series that is to come with a two-week gap in between. All right, now I know that sounds awfully confusing and frustrating, but, but track with me. I want to trust that God would put, would, 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 would put seeds in our hearts around this understanding of how do, we, how do we go from here to there in the context of signs, wonders, and miracles. Most of you, I think, would agree that Jesus' central message, when he came here on earth, his central message, the, the essence of his ministry, was the kingdom of God. I think most of you would agree with that. That's certainly what, what all commentators say, that, that Jesus' central message was the kingdom of God. The mistake I think we make is not that we expect too much of the kingdom, but I think the mistake we make is that we actually expect too little of the kingdom. We actually define the kingdom of God far too narrowly. And we often define the kingdom of God through the lens of our own desires or our own goals or our own passions and dreams and gifts. The kingdom of God is, is, is righting the wrong of social injustice. Yes, it is. The kingdom of God is, is setting the oppressed free. Yes, it is. The kingdom of God is, is foster care and adoption for those who don't have families. Yes, it is. It's all of those things and a whole bunch more. And the point I'm, I'm trying to drive home in this is that's why God calls us always to extend his kingdom in and through community. Because each of us bring a different facet or a different angle or a different perspective to the kingdom of God, which together as a community, we are able to reflect, the, hopefully, the fullness of Jesus and his kingdom to the city in which we live. 
How has God positioned you to advance the kingdom through the gifts he's given you and in the sphere of influence he's entrusted to you? Jesus' contemporaries made exactly the same mistake. John the Baptist said, Jesus is coming, uh, one whose sandals I I cannot tie, and he will baptize you with with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, John was convinced that, that Jesus was ushering in a kingdom of God's judgment and God's righteous rule, which he was, but John the Baptist missed the season of grace. And so when John the Baptist was thrown into prison, suddenly his conviction of who Jesus was was turned on its head, and he had to send his disciples to say to Jesus, actually, are you really the one? The Jews made the same mistake. They thought Jesus was coming to usher in a kingdom that was a a political or a geographic rule, rule of the Messiah, restoring peace back to the nation of Israel. And their hosannas and their, and their blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord quickly turned to crucify him when they realized that Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. You see, friends, th- this is the point that I'm trying to make. The kingdom is, is not just privilege for some, but it's right standing with God for everyone. The kingdom of God is not limited, limited to a political freedom for one nation or for one people group but spiritual, physical, and relational freedom for people of all nations and from all generations. Jesus didn't just come as as king to, 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 to dethrone Caesar. Jesus came as king to dethrone the one behind all ungodly power, which was Satan. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he makes, John makes this very clear. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. That's why Jesus came, not to dethrone a physical king, but to dethrone the king of this age, the one who stands behind all evil. Peter actually gets far more specific and far more personal about this. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, when he's teaching at Cornelius' house, he says this. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. That, my friends, I'm convinced is the essence of the kingdom of God advancing. Satan's rule and Satan's reign being overthrown by the advancing of the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The chapter before the one we're looking at in Matthew 11, and I mentioned this earlier, where, where, where John asks Jesus the question, are you the king? How does Jesus answer? Go back and tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, that's how the kingdom of God advances, when Satan's rule and reign is overthrown in situations, in people's lives, in regions, in cities, and in nations. That's how the kingdom of God advances. I want, to, I want to ask you again, before we carry on with unpacking this, this overview of, of kind of the here and, and not yet, bring to mind again those people that I asked you to think about. Bring to mind, ask the Holy Spirit to, to keep those people at the forefront of your mind. 
those ones that you're trusting to see healed, and those ones that you're praying for to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, the, 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 the two kind of most significant ways that Satan binds up the, the, uh, people is one through, through sin, keeping them out of relationship with God, and the other one through sickness. I think we fully understand the one of, of sin. I, th- I, think we, I, I think we get that easily. When someone doesn't receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we preach the gospel to them, we very easily say, oh yes, Satan is holding them back. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But when it comes to sickness, friends, I think sometimes we get a little bit hazy on this. Sometimes we're not absolutely sure where, what, the, what role the devil is playing in someone's sickness or disease. Now, there are very clear moments in the Gospels. Luke chapter 13 is one example where, where Jesus heals someone, and it's very specifically related to a demonic incident. There's a woman that is in, in, in the temple, in the synagogue, and she's crippled over, and it says she's crippled over by a spirit for a significant period of time. And Jesus walks into the synagogue, and he says, woman, be free. He drives the demon out of her, and the woman is, is healed. But then we say to ourselves, well, does that mean that all sickness is related to demonic activity? No, but I will say this. Behind all sickness, caused by the fallen world in which we live, is the prince of this age, which is Satan. I came across this great quote. Sickness in this world belongs to the character of this age, which is Satan, who is the prince of this age. Thus, While not all sickness is the work of demons, all sickness can be seen as ultimately the work of Satan. So what's the point? Why am I driving this home? The point is this. What assures us the victory over sin, or should I say who assures us victory over sin, is the same one who assures us victory over sickness. The one behind sin and sickness has been defeated and the authority of his temporary pseudo-kingdom has been brought down and bound. Although not fully yet extinguished, Satan's rule, Satan's reign has been bound. I've used this illustration before. The the time period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, when Satan was bound, it's like a a chicken who's had his head chopped off. Now, I I grew up in South Africa, and I had a cousin who had a a sugarcane farm. And and on his farm, he also kept chickens. And one of the things, the memories that, I mean, I had great times on that farm, fishing and riding motorbikes through the cane fields. But the one memory that unfortunately sticks, and even as I'm saying this, I can picture it right now, was when I was about five or six years old, my cousin, who was a little bit sadistic, loved to, to taunt kind of the city kids like this, and, and we were going to have chicken for the day at, at lunch, and so he literally chose the fattest chicken that was running around and, and twisted its head off, snapped its head off, and I kid you not, for two or three minutes, that chicken continued to run around like nothing had happened until eventually it fell over. And friends, that's a very strange, but, 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 but I think effective picture that describes what is happening in the world in which we live. Satan's authority has been bound. His absolute demise is certain and sure. 
The victorious one has been crowned. His name is Jesus. But between here and there, his power has been diminished, Satan's power, although it is still somewhat significant. So while we are doing all that we are called to do to advance the kingdom by praying for the sick and preaching the gospel, Satan is trying to do all that he can to oppose the plan and purpose of God. What I find so incredible about the cross, and we sang it today, was the fact that God didn't overthrow Satan by issuing a decree, by issuing a command. God overthrew Satan by the shedding of human tears and the spilling of human blood. The blood and tears of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, friends, God's power is not just this impersonal force. God's power to overcome Satan has been displayed through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and now is being displayed to the world through the the body of Jesus which is you and I, the church. The kingdom of God has a context, and the context is human relationships. Keep thinking of those people that I asked you to think about. So as we bring this into land, the other points are not gonna be as long as the first one, don't worry. But how do we live in the tension between the now and the not yet? How do we live between, between the, the here of seeing sickness and disease and the there which is the promise of of God's breakthrough. The first thing I want to say is this. Be secure. And this is not a complete teaching on these two subjects. Dropping some seeds. Be secure in God's love and be motivated by God's compassion. Be secure in God's love. How do we live between here and there? Be, Be secure in God's love. Be motivated by God's passion. You see, to the bruised reeds, that have, been, that have been bruised by sickness and to the wicks that are, that are left smoldering because of demonic oppression, you read the Gospels and you will never see a time where Jesus says, I think it's best if you keep that sickness. I think it's best if you stay oppressed because it's gonna teach you some lessons. You see, God, Jesus never, ever says that. To the one who is bruised by sickness, Jesus heals. And to the smoldering wick, who, to the wick that is smoldering because of oppression, Jesus breaks all of, off that oppression and sets people free. J.R. Packer, J.R. Packer says this, God's happiness, listen to this, God's happiness will not be complete until all his beloved children are finally out of trouble. God saves God heals, God restores, and God liberates, not only for his glory, but also for his gladness. I love that. God heals, God restores, God liberates, God saves, not only for his glory, but also for his gladness. Christians believe that that our knowledge of God comes generally through the scriptures, but specifically through the person of Jesus Christ. So when we uh, read encounters of Jesus here on earth, we need to pay very careful attention because not only is Jesus living according to the will of the Father, but Jesus is perfectly revealing to us the will of the Father by his life. 
And so when we read uh, time after time after time, including the text in which we looked at, where people who were sick came to Jesus and he healed them all, I'm saying this to say that perfectly reveals the will of the Father, which is this, his, his consistent, unambiguous hostility towards sickness and his desire to heal it, motivated by love, expressed through compassion. That word compassion is such an incredible word, and we don't have time to go into it, but the, the, the word compassion that we read, the, the, the Greek origin of that word is, is, is kind of from the same word that is used to describe someone's intestines or someone's bowels. And it's because Greek thinking or thinking of the day assumed that the depth, the, the deepest emotions that people could feel originated from the pits of their stomach. And so when you read the word compassion, what you need to think of is not Jesus felt a little sorry for those who were sick, or not Jesus felt, uh, felt a, you know, sad. He looked upon them and they saw that, he saw that they were harassed, Matthew 9, like a sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus felt a little empathy towards them. That's not what that w- word means. What it means is this incontrollable groan and cry that comes from the very pits of his heart because he sees the condition of God's people. It's that, oh, that's what motivates Jesus to heal. His love and his compassion. And friends, on Wednesday night at prayer meeting, Debbie uh, sang a prophetic song, which, was, which I just felt, ushered in something of God's presence. She began to sing out, Lord, give us your heart. Give us your heart. Friends, if we want to see signs, wonders, and miracles, the thing we need, we can learn methods and we can learn the ways to do it. But if we do not have God's love, if we do not have God's compassion for people, we will not see miracles happen here through this church. God wants to break our hearts for the people who are in our city and in our neighborhoods who do not know him and who are bound by the devil in sickness and in disease. He wants to bring healing. The second way that we live in the tension between now and the not yet is this. We need to be settled in God's faithfulness. Settled in God's faithfulness. I asked this question earlier, but what was the one thing the man with the shriveled hand could not do? The one thing the man with the shriveled hand could not do was the very thing Jesus asked him or commanded him to do, and that was stretch it out. And the reason why he did it was not because he mustered enough self-effort, but he looked in Jesus' eyes, and he saw in Jesus is someone that I can trust, And I'm going to take this man at his word. And so I'm going to stretch out my hand. And he was healed. You see, friends, this thing of faith is such a complicated, to be honest, and overwhelming concept. Because let's be real. There are times when we have have great faith, or we think we have great faith, and there's little or kind of no result or or, or impact that happens. And sometimes we have hardly any faith And yet somehow God miraculously does great and amazing things through us. So what is it? Sometimes we can can look back on the cross. Well, hopefully not sometimes, all the time. We can look back on the cross 2,000 years ago and we can say, I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Was any of you there at at, at Calgary 2,000 years ago? Anyone? 
Anyone? No, because you're putting your, you're saved because you're putting your faith in something that happened. We can have faith for 2,000 years ago. We can have faith for 10 years from now. We can have faith for the fact that Jesus is coming back. But what about today? Why do we struggle? And I'm asking myself this question. Why do we struggle with faith for today? When we come face to face with a friend or a family member who is struggling with sickness. Friends, it's the same faith. Faith is not, is not human effort. When Jesus couldn't heal in his hometown, it wasn't because Jesus was looking for cheerleaders to encourage him along. Jesus was looking for faith because faith needs a context. And the context is trust and a conviction of Jesus' love for me. Faith, friends, is, is childlike trust in the one who says it will be so. So the question is not, do I have enough faith? The question is, do I believe that Jesus is someone that I can trust? That's what faith is. And so this is the main point, and I'm closing with this. The main point, the journey from here to there. The journey from hard hearts and sickness and disease to, to there. People being saved and healed in Jesus' name. The journey from, from the now to the not yet. How do we get there? It's only possible if we're secure and settled in God's faithfulness and his love. As we close, I'm gonna ask you once again, if you, if you wouldn't mind just humoring me, just close your eyes once again. And I want you once again to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to the forefront of your mind those people, those family members, those work colleagues, those neighbors that you are trusting to see healed. Maybe it's even you. Or those work colleagues and friends that you are trusting to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want you to think about them. And if you wouldn't mind just keeping your eyes closed as I'm gonna read something over us and then I'm gonna pray for us. And then we'll see what God does. Keep those people at the forefront of your mind as I read this over us. God's love and God's power is as near to us in sickness and death as it is in healing and deliverance. God wants us to know how to trust him for physical and spiritual healing and the salvation of others, but also persist in trusting God when the effects and the realities of this fallen world and Satan's opposition remain with us or cause someone to be indifferent to Jesus' love. Regardless of the outcome of our prayers for healing or our bold sharing of the gospel, our faith in Jesus need not falter. We will continue to live under the shadow of the not yet. Though we or others were once healed, we may become sick again, and some may be hardened to the truth of God's love that has so changed us. But in it and through it all, we see Jesus, the faithful God. When we think of Satan and his work against us and others, we see him as Jesus did, 
hurled down from the place he falsely usurped. When we think of demons, we see them as defeated foes, immediately surrendering to the authority of Jesus' name. When we think of the grave, we remember that it had to release Lazarus at at Jesus' command. When we look at the cross, we see the very worst evil that could ever happen. And in the resurrection, we see that evil was judged and its effects overcome. Faith to heal the sick and to see the lost saved is not false confidence. It's the freedom to believe and trust in God's unconditional love because of what we have seen and received ourselves in and through Jesus. I'm going to ask you just to keep your eyes closed. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us that God's love would be poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit for the people that you are thinking about right now. Father, I ask for myself and for every person seated here that you would pour out your unconditional love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Father, we acknowledge that we don't want to rest on formulas or methods or recipes for success. Lord, we simply want to rest, rest, rest in the reality of your love. And so, Father, for these friends that we are lifting up to you, these family members that we are trusting to see breakthrough come, we ask, Father, for your eyes. We ask, Father, for your hands of faith. We ask, Father, for your hearts of compassion. Lord, that you would heal and deliver and save these precious, precious friends of ours. And Father, we say, here we are. Lord, would you use us? Would you use us? Would you use us, Lord, to be those who would extend your kingdom into our cities, into the nations. Not, not, not following theory, but Lord, knowing that you love these precious people. Holy Spirit, would you come even now upon us and touch us? Would you fill us as a church? Give us boldness, I pray, to declare your word to step out in faith and to be a vehicle or a means through which your love can come to our city. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Before we close, just stay in this place of receiving. I don't want to embarrass you or single you out, but I do want to pray for anyone who is sick here today. In about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to do something very brave. And I'm gonna ask you, if you are sick in this place and you are trusting for healing in any way, in about 30 seconds or a minute, I'm gonna ask you to stand up. And the reason I'm asking you to stand up is because I really feel there are moments and times, this is not a recipe, but this is what I felt the Lord put on my heart. There are moments and times when we need to extend our faith through a physical response. We read earlier on about the man with the shriveled hand who was commanded by Jesus to stretch out his hand. And as he stretched out his hand, he was healed. 
And so in a few moments, I'm going to ask those who are sick to stand. And I would love elders, deacons, and the ministry team to jump up very quickly and to gather around those people who are standing in faith to trust for healing. I'm going to ask you to gather around them very quickly and to release the healing of the Lord upon them, to trust for God, to touch them miraculously, and to restore them to full health. If you are not standing and you are not praying for someone, I'm going to ask you, if you can, just give us two or three minutes. Just stay in this place of keeping your heart soft to the Lord. I sense such a, such a tangible sense of the love of the Father here this morning. So can we do that? Anyone here today trusting for healing, please stand very quickly. Please stand very quickly, trusting for healing. All right, elders, deacons, and ministry team, quickly, can I ask you just to gather around those who are standing? Just raise your hand if I can, if I can ask for those trusting for healing so we make sure no one is left out. Look around you. Please make sure no one is left out without praying. Uh, Chris, uh, Dirk, if you guys can be praying as well, please just, uh, Mel, anyone else who's, some of those who, are, who know they're part of our family and just please make sure everyone is, got, so begin to pray, begin to pray, begin to release God's life, begin to trust for healing. If you are seated, just begin to pray for those, look around the room. If you have, if God drops in your heart faith for somebody that is standing, Please feel free to stand and go and join those groups that are praying. If God puts someone on your heart, look around the room. If God puts someone on your heart, just jump up real quick. Go begin to join that group that are praying right now. Thank you, Father. We just ask in Jesus' name for a release of your healing across this room. Those who are praying, Lord God, Lord, I pray they would, just, they would declare the goodness of your love. Those who are receiving, Lord, let them receive healing in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that they would look to you and see you as one who can be trusted. Come, Holy Spirit. Just a few more moments, just a couple more moments. We're nearly finished. Just begin to pray and trust for God to heal miraculously. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.